Well, it's good to be back in God's house this morning. It's been 28 days since I was able to preach, and uh, I appreciate everybody's prayers for me over this these past three weeks. It's been a trying and difficult time, but the Lord has helped us, and uh, getting back in, into good physical health. Uh, spent about a week there in the hospital and uh, gained a lot of water weight, uh, still trying to get rid of that, and... Uh, Still dealing with a few issues from being sick, but I am so grateful for those that's been praying for me and those that's reached out to me personally through text and phone calls. Uh, it's a real blessing. Uh, but we are going to get back into our sermon series in the Gospel of John this morning. This will be part number five of the Gospel of John sermon series, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, Lord willing. I've titled the message today from the text, The Word Was Made Flesh. The Word Was Made Flesh. And we'll go ahead and read our text. And here the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we... Thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to stand again behind this pulpit and to deliver your word. God, we're asking now that you help us. Lord, keep us out of the flesh. Keep us humble this morning. And Lord, most of all, may you receive any glory from this. For it's these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we pick up here back in the Gospel of John in, in verse 14, um, we know already we've looked at many different things just in these first 13 uh, verses. Uh, the Gospel of John is filled full of good information and doctrine on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and uh, Christianity. And, but the, the thing that, that you need to understand about the Gospel of John, his focus is entirely upon the Lord Jesus. That's his number one focus, is to present the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying man, woman, child, uh, person. And so we get to know the Lord Jesus through the Gospel of John. Now, one of the most important Bible doctrines we just read right here, and yes, this is Bible doctrine, where it said in verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. Now, John, out of all the Gospel writers, places an emphasis upon the deity of Christ more than any. Uh, it, it puts him on the same equal as God. In fact, he points out that Jesus is, in fact, God manifest in the flesh. And it says right there, and the Word was made flesh. And it's important for us to know that Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, Pastor Sexton, going through semin seminary, would often say that God robed himself in flesh and stepped down off his royal throne and uh, became a man but never ceased from being God. And I always enjoyed hearing that. Um, but it is important for us to know that it is Bible doctrine. It is important that we know that Jesus is, in fact, God. Not every religion believes that. Uh, Christmas will be in 21 days from now. Can you believe that? Boy, this year has flown. 
But in 21 days, we'll be celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're celebrating the incarnation is what that is. Uh, when God himself be became flesh and dwelled among us. I want us to look at that in Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 14. That's the most familiar uh, Christmas story. It's the same place where, uh, who's it, Linus on Charlie Brown reads from. Where most children get their first introduction to the Bible through uh, Charlie Brown and, and Linus. But uh, Luke chapter 2, I want you to look at, uh, start with verse 1. Let me get there. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for, I, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. So this tells of the incarnation of the coming Christ, the coming Messiah, Christ being the Christos, the, the promised one of God. And here the angel came to those shepherds out there in, their, on, in the fields and, and, and uh, ex, exclaiming, uh, your Christ is, is being born. He's going to be born in a manger. This is the very God of, of heaven. And so this doctrine of incarnation is that God became flesh. He assumed human nature and became a man in the form of, of Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God and the second person of the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. That is the triune Godhead. Now you need to, like I said, understand that not all religions believe this. Uh, even those that claim to be Christian religions, they don't believe in the doctrine of, of Christ, His deity, or the Trinity. For example, Jehovah Witnesses. Now, I, I don't like to even call them a Christian religion because they're, they're really not. Even though they claim to be, uh, they're really a cult. Uh, they believe that Jesus was a created God. And he was actually Michael the archangel in human form. That's their belief. They teach that Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. And prior to his incarnation, he existed as Michael the archangel in heaven. Michael became Jesus. Upon his earthly birth, uh, Michael became Jesus, he, and, but he was only a man. They believe he was not empowered as Christ until he was baptized. 
They believe that Jesus died on a torture stake and his body was dissolved by God the Father. The Father then recreated Jesus' body three days later in a spiritual form but not physical. And then he ascended back to the Father and went back to being Michael the Archangel. Now that's the bizarre beliefs of the Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, so they deny the deity of Christ, therefore they reject the doctrine of the Trinity. They claim the Holy Spirit is simply just a force of God and not a person. In fact, in their New World Translation, listen to how they change John chapter 1, verse 1. They say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, with a lowercase g. So they completely deny the deity of Christ and just claim him to be any other God, such as Apollo or Mercury, uh, Zeus, any of those gods like that. False gods. Uh, not only do Jehovah Witnesses deny this, but so do the Mormons. They do not believe that Jesus and God are one and the same. Uh, they do not believe that Jesus is God in flesh form. They believe Jesus is one of God's sons, that he was physically produced through intercourse. And they also believe that Jesus is Satan's big brother. Now, I know it seems laughable, but that, that's their beliefs. And so you've got to be very careful today and understand true Bible doctrine. And of course, they use these uh, the New World Translation, and and uh, of course, Jehovah Witnesses uses their Watchtower um, literature more than anything else. But uh, you got to watch these people. Now, as Bible believing Baptists, we know the truth. JWs and Mormons are false religions; they're cults. They don't believe the Bible. Uh, and they even said in their statements, the Mormons, the Bible is not infallible. Uh, so, listen, in our King James Bible, we read the following. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Listen to this, verse 3 who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, set down the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, of course, the, the JWs have you believe these Michael the Archangels sitting up there on high. Uh, there in verse 3, it mentioned the brightness of his glory. And in our opening text, John said, we beheld his glory. That word glory is used a lot when it comes to describing God and Jesus. Uh, it's describing the glorious brightness that radiates from God. Uh, we studied over the past few weeks there of how Jesus was sent to be a light into the world of darkness and how the world rejected him because men love darkness rather than light. Uh, Moses experienced the, the brightness of God's glory when he was up there on the mountain for 40 days and uh, uh, communicating with God. God was speaking to him, and uh, Moses wanted to see him, and God said, you cannot see me, and he passed by, and all Moses saw was the brightness of his glory. Uh, he, Moses never saw the face of God. God does not have 
uh, what we would consider a face. He is a spirit. And like our text says, no man has seen God at any time, not even Moses. So what Moses uh, experienced was God's glory. And we know the results of that. When Moses came down off that mountain, he was shining. People were afraid of him. He had to actually wear a veil over him until God's glory uh, left it. And so he kept himself veiled. Uh, Peter, James, and John, they all experienced the glory of God, his brightness, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration when they were privileged, when the Lord Jesus had them come up and they witnessed it. Matthew 17 and 2, the Bible says, And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So Jesus in the, in the flesh, God in the flesh being Jesus, had to veil his glory while he was here on this earth. Otherwise, people would not be able to even stand in his presence as the, the radiation of his glory shines out uh, uh, from him. Now again, in verse 3 of Hebrews 1, it says, He is the express image of his person. An express image is an imprint of something. It's an impression of something. It's supposed to be the identical mark of something. Think of it in this way, like a coin. I have right here a penny. On this penny is the express image of Abraham Lincoln. I've got a nickel. This nickel right here has the express image of Thomas Jefferson. He's even got a little ponytail. <laughs> I've got a dime right here. On this dime is the express image of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I've got a quarter. Everybody knows who's on a quarter. George Washington is on the quarter. Also wearing a little ponytail. And I have a half dollar. On a half dollar, we have President Kennedy. John F. Kennedy is on a half dollar. And so these are all considered express images. And it's, uh, of course, it's not him in the flesh, but it's ex express image. It's saying this is who this is. And so the same thing with the Lord Jesus. He is the express image of God. While God doesn't have bodily features such as we do or that Jesus had, um, it's still Jesus is the personification of God. He's his express image. Now, since God is a spirit cannot be seen, Jesus as a person dwelled among us so that he could intermingle with us, so that we could see him, uh, be with him, touch him, and experience the glory of the Lord Jesus. In the book of Colossians, we read this about Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. The Bible says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Uh, so the, the Bible is very clear on who Jesus is, that he is the very God. Um, he's God in the flesh. Now, in our opening text, there in verse 14, uh, the, the Bible says, And dwelt among us, and dwelt among us. Now, if you study in the Old Testament, you're going to find that God dwelled among people in the form of something. Um, for instance, for Moses, God's presence was in a burning bush. Remember, he's standing there, and 
the Lord spoke to him and said, Moses, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And Moses talked to a bush, a burning bush. That was God's presence manifest in that bush. For the children of Israel, his presence was manifest in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's how they knew God was among them. Later, his presence was found in the tabernacle, back in the, in the Holy of Holies, between the two cherubims on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. That's where God said he would meet with them. He would meet with the high priest as he came in there. And so God's presence was, was in things. But here in the New Testament, we see that God's presence is manifest in bodily form in the man, Christ Jesus. And this is how he dwelt among us. Now, I, I meant to print it out again. I've read it a few times, but that Paul Harvey story where the, the man is, uh, uh, the birds are, are in his barn or something, and he, he, uh, he goes to help them, and they're afraid of him, and they start flurrying and flying off. And he said, if I could only become one of those birds so that I could speak with them, and, and they wouldn't be afraid. So in, in a way, that's what the Lord has done for us. He came and dwelled among us so that he could be with us so that he could relate upon our level. And uh, he, was, he experienced the same things we do, pain and, and uh, the, the emotions and things like that. Yet he never sinned. That's the difference between the Lord Jesus and a natural man is that the Lord never sinned, despite having all the temptations, the same temptations that we have. So the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy, he says this in 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So that's kind of a small snapshot of the ministry of Christ, all those things. So God came, manifest himself in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world. And then he ascended up back into heaven in glory. So while God may not be presently among us in bodily form, in the form of Jesus Christ, he is still with us. He still dwells with us. The Bible teaches us that God dwells within the hearts of all believers. In John 14, 15 through 16, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now, that word comforter is another title for the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. So the Bible teaches us that if we believe in the Lord Jesus, that he will pray and the Father will give us another comforter, meaning the Holy Ghost, and he will abide with us forever. It didn't say temporarily or as long as you're living right or doing good. It says that forever. Over in John 14, 23, the Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him and will come unto him and make our abode with him. So that's, uh, that's pretty, pretty clear information uh, from the Lord Jesus about how he lives and dwells within us. Let's keep going on some more. Romans 5 and 5. The Bible says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts 
by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit, listen, in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. I want to give you one more. 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 14. The Bible says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. There's no mistake about it. All Christians have the Holy Ghost dwelling within them. Now the question is, are we going to follow him? Are we going to let him guide us and lead us through life? Or are we going to quench him? Are we going to deny his leadership? Because we can do that. We have that ability to deny the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to push him aside and say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do and we'll act out in our flesh. We will sin and uh, say, say to the Holy Ghost, I'm not listening to you. Now, if we would be faithful to the Holy Spirit and allow him to guide our lives and our thoughts and our ways, we would be much, much better off. So these are those were just a few of the many places in the Bible that assures us that God still dwells among us. Now the last part of our opening text in verse 14 continues on, and uh, John, the gospel writer, says, full of grace and truth. Now grace and truth, of course, are attributes and gifts from God. Uh, we see that down in uh, verse 17 of our text. The Bible says, for the law was given by Moses... But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And of course, what did Jesus say in John 14 and 6? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus himself claims he is the very truth. The Bible says that truth, grace and truth, came by Jesus Christ. All right, now let's get back to our opening text in uh, John chapter 1, verse 15. Here the Bible says, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. All right, this John that's mentioned right here is John the Baptist, not John the Gospel writer. It's John the Baptist, and we've studied already on his life. We'll be looking more at his life as we continue on. But uh, it says that John bare witness of him. Uh, in other words, that was his testimony, to bear witness of someone means you testify they are who they say they are and that, that you're saying this is the truth. This is them. Now, you could call it John's testimony. We all have a testimony, right? When you got saved, that's your testimony. How did you get saved? I can tell you mine, how the Lord came and convicted my heart that I was a sinner at six years old and that I came down and accepted Christ as my Savior. That's my testimony. Each of you that's been saved, you have your own testimony. John was testifying that the Christ was come, has came. Uh, he was, of course, his very purpose was to be sent to be the forerunner 
of Christ and the bear witness of it. John says this is the one, the one whom I've been speaking of. He's the blessed promised one. And then he says something here that almost seems like a riddle. He said there in, in verse 15, he that cometh after me is preferred before me for he was before me. Now, if you, if you didn't understand the context of what we're talking about, you may say, well, that makes absolutely no sense because he said in the first part, he that cometh after me. But then in the last part, he said, for he was before me. And so if you didn't understand what the Bible was talking about, you may think, well, that's a mistake. <laughs> you know. Well, we know that John was born six months before the Lord Jesus Christ. John is a cousin of Jesus because Mary and and Elizabeth were uh, were related, and they were cousins. So John and Jesus were related. So in his human nature, Jesus came after John in physical nature, but in his divine nature, Jesus was before John uh, because Jesus is always eternal. He always is first. John has already said this. We studied in John 1, 1 through 2. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And so, uh, there's no mistake about it. He also said that Jesus is preferred before me. In other words, Jesus is superior, superior to me. He is above me. I must decrease. He must increase, as we'll read later on in the text. But this is what... All people need to need to understand is that Jesus is superior to any of us. Now, the world today wants to teach that you are the most important thing. Everybody thinks it's all about me, and uh, they I even I've told this before, but one of the former presidents of the company I worked for claimed that he was his own god. He didn't believe in the Lord God of Heaven, but he said he was his own god. Uh, it's sad, but John said Jesus preferred before me. I like what Albert Barnes said. Albert Barnes is a 19th century Presbyterian minister, but he wrote this great commentary on the Bible, and he says this about this verse. He said, We may learn here that is one mark of the true spirit of a minister of Christ to desire and feel that Christ is always to be preferred to ourselves. We should keep ourselves out of view, the great object is to hold up the Savior. And however much ministers may be honored or blessed, yet they should lay all at the feet of Jesus and direct all men to him as the undivided object of affection and honor. Uh, that right there is a stinging rebuke to a lot of modern-day preachers and pastors that want to be held up on a pedestal. They want to be exalted among men. They want to have their names flashed across every everything. And to be known because of maybe their their character characteristics or their ability to speak or whatever it is. I even heard some of them say, I'm an anointed pastor. Really? Who told you that? Your mama? Well, we see again here the humbleness of John the Baptist in, in his testimony of the Lord Jesus. Not only should all ministers of Christ exalt Christ above themselves, but so should every believer. Every believer. All right, now let's look at verse 16, back in John 1, 1 and 16. It says, And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. 
that phrase right there, grace for grace, it doesn't mean God swapped his grace for our grace because we have no grace except for the grace of God. It means grace upon grace. In other words, uh, multiplying his grace. God heaps his grace upon us abundantly. And that, that should be very clear. If you've lived on this earth very long, you should understand that God has given you grace upon grace upon grace. Now, we know that word grace means unmerited favor. In other words, something you did not deserve. You didn't work for it. You had nothing to do with it. But God looked at you and he said, I'm going to give you my grace. You don't deserve it, but I'm giving it to you. Why? Because he loves us. And so, because of God's grace, we're saved by grace. That's what the Bible says. And he gives us grace as Christians. The fullness of God's grace never, ever ends. I've experienced God's grace over these last three weeks. Uh, the hospital told told us that if my wife hadn't got me to the doctor, maybe another day that I may not have made it. My body was fully set, had sepsis. So I had uh, all this infection throughout my whole body. And uh, they said if she hadn't got me there, that I may not have made it. So it was only by God's grace that we was able to do that. All right, let's look at verse 17. It says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So here, John gives us the comparison of the law, which, of course, was given unto Moses by God. We spoke about it as he was up on that mountain receiving all that information from, from God. And uh, <clears throat> grace and truth, though, he says, was given by Jesus Christ. Now, the law was not a demonstration of God's grace. Uh, it was a demonstration of his demand for holiness. God says, I'm holy, ye be holy. And this is how you're going to maintain your holiness, by obeying and following the law. Of course, no man could ever do it, except the Lord Jesus. And so what happened? Well, Jesus was sent here to bring grace and truth. And so the law was simply our schoolmaster, the Bible teaches us. And... Uh, it was to teach us of our unrighteousness and the need for a Savior. And so Jesus came along, and he fulfilled that law of being the one who would give us grace and truth. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans three nineteen through 25. He said, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So it was through the Lord Jesus Christ that we no longer have to obey the law. We're not bound by the law, but we have God's grace and his truth, and it came by Jesus Christ. All right, in our last verse this morning, look at verse 18. John chapter 1, verse 18. It goes on to say, No man has seen God at any time. 
The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Now, we've already mentioned it this morning, but the fact is, God is a spirit. The fact is, the Bible says that no man has ever seen God. Well, Moses heard his voice, saw, saw the burning bush. The children of Israel saw the pillar of fire and and the, the pillar of cloud uh, at, in the day and pillar of fire at night. Jacob declared he had seen God face to face when he was there in, in Bethel, and he wrestled with a man. We talk about Jacob's ladder. He saw the great ladder come down and all that, and he wrestled with a man there. And But he said he saw God face to face, but he did not see God's physical face. Yet what he saw was uh, God's spirit. It was a manifestation of God in a human form through the man he wrestled with. So it was not God's uh, appearance. It was manifest through a different form. Now Isaiah says he saw the Lord high, holy, and lifted up there in the temple. His train filled the temple and smoke and all that. But what he saw was uh, not God's spirit, but it was a symbol of God's presence in a vision is what Isaiah saw. Remember, this was all a vision that Isaiah was relaying to us. He said, I saw God high and holy and lifted up. But it was uh, God's symbol, a symbol of God's presence. Uh, again, listen to what it said in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. We've read it already. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Remember the express image I told you about. This is to symbolize and to say this is the very one. Uh, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, set down the right hand of the majesty of God. And so the truth is, the only way that man will ever see God is by looking at his only begotten Son. That's the only way we'll ever see God. The whole purpose of John the Baptist is the same purpose of every church in existence today. Every pastor, every preacher, every evangelist, every missionary, every Sunday school teacher, every Bible college professor, every Christian. It is our job, our duty, our calling to point the lost toward the Son, Christ Jesus. People may say, I want to see God. Look at His Son. That's how you're going to see God. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You so much for the message today. Thank You for giving me the strength and the health to be able to stand behind this pulpit, God, and deliver your word. God, I pray that it's been helpful to those that's been listening. God, those that are here in the, in this church today. God, those that are listening online, whether it's through Sermon Audio or Facebook or YouTube or Rumble or wherever we're broadcast, God, I pray that this message is a help. And Lord, I know that your word will not be returned unto you void. It will go out and accomplish that which you please. And Lord, we're just uh, praying today for your help. Help us with this church, God. Help us do what we need to be doing. Lord, please be for our missionaries, God, especially during this Christmas time, God. May we be able to help them and support them the best we can. And God, we want to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for everything you've blessed us with. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen. Amen.